Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're back in Ireland to be joined by Noel Maher, the co-founder and CEO of the Full Stack Group. Noel, you're very welcome to the show. Here's Rain. Thanks for having me. As I said Just earlier, the weather's, the weather's amazing these days, so can't It's complain. so good. I've got the window open here. I've, I haven't got a fan, I've got a fan in my own apartment, and I'm thinking of bringing it down here because I spend more time here than in my own apartment, which would make sense to bring it down. But right. it comes in use at night time. I have the door open on one end and I have the fan at the other end and it's just a consistent stream of cold air, which is beautiful. Oh, yeah, where we're living there, it's just kind of on the coast, but um, I'm amazed actually just the zero breeze, like the, 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 the smoke coming out of the chimneys is just going straight up. It's like there's no breeze, there's no air, but I'm not complaining. It's, it's better nice. than the, the weather we had a while ago. So yeah. I'm jealous, jealous that you live on the coast. Um, I'm actually... Uh, my girlfriend's asked me about an hour ago, do you want to go to Bray this evening for fish and chips? So I'm looking forward to going out there for a walk. And, um, Very good. I'm, I'm just out um, in Ratoth near Ashburn, if you've ever... Oh, yeah. No, well, yeah. I grew up around the lake, so... Oh, nice. Well. Nice, yeah. I've grown up here my whole life. I've lived abroad twice, but I've been here my whole life. And okay. now I live on the other side of the village from my parents, so I ventured about a kilometre away. At the All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anywho... You, you, you said you grew up in Delique, so let's start there. Um, what was your childhood like growing up in Delique? Any favourite standout memories? Uh, yeah, so I just grew up between, between like Delique and Drada. Um, mm. Probably more on the Drada side, I'd say. Standout memories. Um, yeah, I did, well, for me, it'd be the band. So I was in the band since I was 12, yeah, about 11, yes. 12. Um, and that was amazing. Yeah, we... Um, it was a heavy metal band. Uh, well, a couple of bands, actually. So uh, it was a heavy metal band. And um, yeah, we did pretty well. We got signed eventually when we were about wow. 20, maybe 21. Um, and then we did a couple of tours and uh, well, around Ireland a couple of times, obviously. Uh, some in the UK, uh, Europe. And then we did um, a very short kind of two-week tour in uh, New York, uh, which was serious crack. Like, uh, great crack to have. But um that was probably, yeah, my, my most standout memory of kind of growing up in the area because, you know, we did like a lot of gigs, obviously, around the Drada area um, and Dublin, et cetera, and then around the country. But definitely that that whole experience has just been amazing. So um, love to get back to it someday. Uh, that's that's the dream anyway. So at this stage to get back to it. Well, it was a good socialising that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Um, how much do we want to disclose on this? <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> um, I know was, yeah. Like, um, I think one standout moment for me was, um, it's kind of, well, kind of half my came to fame, but do, do you remember uh, the SFX in Dublin? Um, mm-hmm. It used to be a venue in Dublin um, where we we were sponsoring or we were supporting an act called uh, Paradise Lost. Um, I, can't, I can't, just actually don't know if they're still going at the moment. But they're a big heavy metal act from the UK, and we supported them. But I remember when we pulled up uh, outside the SFX, we got out of the van. There was loads of people queuing up, and um, it was the first time I got asked to sign uh, someone on the on the back of them, if, if you know what I mean. Oh. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I was only sixteen, so I remember. Uh, I think it was just two weeks or three weeks before me leaving, sir. 
And um, I remember my mother wasn't really impressed at all in terms of, you know, why was I doing this right before the leaving cert and, you know, out gallivanting, etc. But uh, it was one hell of an experience to, to do, you know, so it was great. What's the, uh, the, the record behind you? It's fake. So uh, it's a present. It's a wedding present from uh, my brother. Uh, so basically, nice. it's uh, it's the company who actually make the platinum discs. Um, uh, okay. I think they're they're based. Well, I think they're based in Limerick. I think anyway. Um, and basically, we've got album. We we kind of did a couple of albums over the years, and uh, he took the album covers and put them into the frames um, of the different bands that we had throughout the years. And then um, yeah, then there's a little review at the bottom then from. Uh, Tony Clayton Lee, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Kind of a music critic anyway, so uh, my brother got that done up because he knows him. And I uh, wow. put him to a frame and a nice present and yeah, absolutely loved it when he gave it to me, so. That's pretty cool. You know, what, what, yeah. I was gonna say, what's the, what, what was the name of your band? So the main one that we we did was like called a band called Scavenger. Uh, that's the one that got signed, uh, that band. And uh, we had other bands like The Sword or DST and uh, Sydney Parade. A couple of other bands, um, but Scavenger was the one that uh, that mainly got us uh, going around Europe and stuff like that. So, so it was a pure heavy metal band. And you, and you hope one day to get the lads back together to yeah, well, it again. We, we randomly so like I'm, I'm big into um, audio production. Um, mm -hmm. So my like our singer, well, we kind of all live uh, kind of separated at the moment. Uh, but like myself and the singer would would uh, you know we'd be on the phone a lot in terms of just talking about ideas and kind of cool things going on, and uh, we would kind of swap ideas back and forth like just digitally you know kind of I'd send him kind of music and he would kind of put lyrics and and melodies to that, and then we kind of mix that together and stuff like that. So that's what we do right now, um. But like yeah, like you know, my dream would be to um have like you know have a studio and actually kind of go at it. Like I love the creation process of it, um, mm. in terms of you know you know basically creating something from you that you want to hear um and that's just been the favorite piece like the gigging is great as well it's a dish it's just a different experience uh but the creating part is actually is amazing as well and that's a really really big into that i bumped into a guy who was in a he was from kerry i think the band was swedish or no i think they were from norway some heavy metal band from norway but he was from kerry and i was in eidhoven in Holland, which is actually subsequently where I was talking to you before and gone in two weeks' time. And okay. uh, I was sitting in an ice crack and he was sitting there. We just got chatting and I found that he was from this band. And I was asking him what life is like in the band. And he was just like, he he was like, oh, what city am I in at the moment? He had no clue what's like, because he just jumps from city to city to city. And then he just goes to find the Irish bar, has a couple of points, reads the yeah. news, what looks at his phone and then goes and plays and does the same thing the next day. That must be some cool life if you're in your you know, late 20s, early 30s, and you've oh, gone on the main responsibilities, just drinking beer in the evening. It was, yeah, like, you know, we stayed in, uh, like, basements of the of the clubs in the, the UK, um, like, that was great, and, like, you're up to, whatever, four or five in the morning, then you're getting back into the van, and about, and, like, sometimes, when I mean van, like, you're literally getting into the back of a van, sitting on an amp, mm. um, and then you're getting on to the next place, and then, uh, you know, uh, having a bit of lunch and then kind of getting ready for a sound check and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, I think the the beer didn't help obviously over time in terms of, you know, uh, it's just your concentration. Cause like, you know, we, we, we would have been quite uh, fussy in terms of performance, you know, so we always wanted to kind of bring our A game. And I think when we on overdid it on nights like that, like then, you know, you just didn't bring your A game. Uh, so like that would have been a great thing. 
but I think like you know one thing we would have done and and you know I actually bring this a lot to um, on the professional side as well mm. is um when we actually used to play songs uh, you know to, to people in different cities um you know we'd really actually think about what we're doing and we just test you know a particular way that we're actually performing it or what way we'd introduce a song or particular different types of set lists and we test them just to see the reaction but we'd gauge reaction like we'd all kind of mentally uh, learn that reaction during that gig and then we'd we pretty much reviewed it like you know that night um, mm. and i know it sounds quite like you know God, it doesn't sound very cool or band like or whatever that but it was really important because your next show then it's like right we don't do it like this we change the intro like this and we do a chanting part in the middle but once you got that engagement with people and um, your, your performance is better because you know you feel more confident and better um, and people are more engaged and it was you know that's the first time you know i really experienced test and learn essentially which you know that's what i learned from that and it's just that iterative approach and um, i can see the similarities between that and the professional side of things uh, but that was the key thing that we used to do. Well, audience matters big time. And Massive. it sounds like you, you took that into consideration. Do you mind me asking, where you working at, am I pronounce it wrong, more or MOR solutions as a web developer at the same time? Or was this yeah. uh, the next chapter in your life? No, I was always so you working. Were juggling the two balls at the one time. Yeah, I was working in more, um, you know, which was a small kind of digital agency that my sister started up and I joined her when it was just herself. Um, did that for about seven years so yeah was doing the band uh, at the same time and then you know likewise I moved to Paddy Power and uh, doing the but that was that was a harder juggle um because mm. the job was a bit more intense um but yeah I was yeah always working at the same time as I was doing the band so I uh, got to keep the money coming in because there's no money coming in from the band anyway I can tell you that <laughs> wow wow fair play to you um on the business side of things I see you spent four years at more as the web developer, then six years at Paddy Power, and I'm reading from my screen uh, as a web developer manager, and then three years at Pernod Ricard as a digital solutions manager, and finally six and a half years, Hostel World, the final two and a half of them as a CTO. My question is, yeah. any key takeaways from the time working uh, as, as part of a company with other people that allow you to build a network, hone any skill set, uh, learn anything from leading a team of people, before we get on to your current venture? Any key takeaways? Um, I think like, to me, there was, let me see. I, I think there was, I would have felt like there's two kind of pivotal moments for me and uh, that might be, would lead into the takeaways. One was when I was in Paddy Power, um, like Paddy Power, like uh, my experience there was amazing. Um, mm. When I joined, there was like 18 people in technology. Like 18 people right now, there's, I believe, I think it's about four or five thousand. Mm. Um, so it was at the very, you know, uh, online was really kicking off from Paddy Power. That was back in uh, when they joined 2004. Um, and I think it was 2005, my boss at the time then, yeah, promoted me to web development manager. Um, and that web development manager would be a manager of two. <laughs> so me and another guy. So, you know, it wasn't exactly, you know, Oh, imagine managing a big team um but the the, the plan was to scale up the, the the web development function within paddy power um i think it was about you know 10 people so it was the first time me as a manager first time i had to go out and actually build a team i had hired before but never to kind of build a team that was actually uh you know part of my function essentially um 
And that was a pivotal moment for me because I just had a huge amount to learn straight away um, in terms of, well, one, managing people. Um, I'd never really done it before. Um, and then two was actually like, how do you, how do you pick a team? Like, do you, do you, you pick a bunch of seniors? Do you pick a bunch of juniors? Like, how do you actually scale a team? I had no idea on structure, on structure on all that. Um, so that, that to me, there was a lot of key learnings out of that. Um, now at the time, my boss, um, who was a CTO of Paddy Power at the time, John, like, you know, for me, he's just been a mentor uh, ever since my time from Paddy Power up until this day. Um, and he helped me through it. And, but his, I've always found his particular strengths was, um, I never found him as more of a technical kind of boss, you know, in terms of your typical kind of maybe CTO position. And um, he was great at the people aspect. Um, and mm-hmm. he really taught me or taught me that, um, that people aspect in terms of how you interview and how you hire. I always felt that he did it a bit more of a genuine, authentic and real way. Um, and I learned a huge amount from that. And he was a great people person. And uh, so, you know, for me, it was that's the learning I got was really about like when you're building your team, it's that people aspect was the key um, in terms of trust and all that kind of stuff. And um, that to me was was key. My other kind of pivotal moment was probably a bit more recent when I was in Hostel World um, for the first four, four and a half years. Um, and then I became CTO then for, as you said, the last two and a half years. That change from, um, you know, I was head of engineering uh, for four years and then uh, became CTO. That change for me, that step up, um, again, was a pivotal moment um, in terms of, you know, huge amount of learnings. Like, I'd be completely honest, like, I, you know, did they do a great job? No, it was my first time, you know, being the CTO. Um, and the one thing, I, you know, I'm just so happy about is, I made a lot of mistakes, but I, you know, one thing I'm very, very good at is remembering those mistakes and learning from them. Um, and that's what I really, you know, appreciate and take away from that aspect. So it's kind of like, you know, um, the pressure, like there was a lot of pressure in the job because the, you know, it's a CTO of a public company mm-hmm. and when it's a public company and, um, you know, you've got a lot of responsibility in terms of, it's not just a product, it's not just the tech, it's, it, there's a whole ream of different aspects. You know, you've got security in there, you've got, you know, um, responsibilities of roadmaps that meets product teams there's just a lot of different uh, things that come into under your responsibility really and I think you know for me it was like another level of that delegation um, and responsibility and having the right team around you and um, again it's the same learning but it's it's trying to get the right team around you and uh, was the is the you know one of the key learnings I got again just at a different level and um, but that to me was a you know, huge moment so Look, it's probably cliche, like what it is all right, but having the right people uh, around you, um, you know, to help you do a great job, you're bringing them along um, and, uh, you know, build up that trust, uh, trust with the team. You made two big leaps in your career over well, probably a decade and a half from individual contributor to um, manager and then from manager to, to, to C-suite. And what you've said to me is that two things stand out, delegation and people. So safe to say that understanding people and how they like to be communicated to and managed is, is vitally important when you, and if you take that leap either from IC to manager and manager to C-suite mm-hmm. um, and, and kudos to you that you've recognized that, you, that you've made mistakes, but also that you can use those mistakes to uh, level up and continue to learn and, and adapt. And I'm sure that's gonna help you in, 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 your, current vent, in your current venture. Mm-hmm. which I had a look at it uh, 
I don't know if it's called Full Stack Group, but there was another name when I went onto the LinkedIn page. So apologies if I've got it wrong. But yeah, yeah. to to me, you, you started this in January 2021 as well. So hats off to you on that one. That can't have been easy. But I might have got this wrong, but it, it looks like, and you can explain to the listeners what it is, yeah. like the LinkedIn for software engineers. Um, kind of like it's, uh, yeah, well, I suppose, so it's a, basically it's a network that's designed specifically for software engineers and um, mm. so, showcase their work um, and connect with other engineers to learn and better their personal brand, essentially, and their identity. Um, we also have teams and companies that come onto the network and showcase um, their projects and the kind of technology that they work with. The, the more unique aspect on it is really about showcasing the, the, the behind the scenes and feel of the culture of the teams uh, from particular companies and marrying that up with engineers that are on the network. So it, it, it really stems from, you know, um, like I've been hiring since, you know, for the last probably 17, 20 years. It's all the probably problems I would, would have experienced throughout my career um, that, you know, I wish this would have existed essentially. So quite, quite plain in that sense. And how I pictured it was like you know, your typical process is obviously uh, for hiring is obviously you know leading on trust in terms of you go through a referral network or your second degree network and then you go to recruiters, and um, you know it's not to say the software engineering space is unique. However, it's, it's a seriously challenging space and obviously getting more and more uh, challenging these days. Um, but I always felt that like you know there should have been a I felt like there was a third way to kind of go and scale teams and build teams and meet the right teams. And the right engineers for these teams and how i kind of you know uh, see it was around in the graphic design or creative space um you would have similar platforms that are like dribble and behance i don't mm. know if any listeners would know them but they're similar where you know graphic designers would um showcase their work um, and what i love about that is it's actually about the work so what i've experienced over the years was you know to kind of give you an idea of Kind of two stories that I really that really stood out to me Please. was one where um, uh, this is going back a fair few years now where you know we hired an engineer and um, it was much forward in the back end so you know much more this engineer would be developing on code I could say for the engine so it wasn't very front facing product for mm. for uh, end users so very much more on, on the behind the scenes kind of thing and. You know, we hired him in, it was about six months in, and you know, he was doing a piece of work and we needed a front-end guy who would kind of you know give the user interface of what he built um uh, to do the, to finish out the project. But this this front-end guy pretty much had gone holidays for two weeks. We were under pressure to kind of get this uh, feature out. And we pretty much no choices like oh well, we're gonna have to, we just got the scheduling wrong, so we're gonna have to just, you know push pause this out uh, push this out a small bit. Um he actually then said, well, actually, I've done Android apps um, in the past. Um, so, you know, I could, I could give it a go in terms of like what we could do. Now, I was quite doubtful, but at the same time, though, I trusted the guy in terms of like, you know, let's give him a go. It's great. To, let's see if he learns something. Not going to hold on to it. Um, and the guy turned around and what he did was um, no, no offense to the front end guy was actually a hell of a lot better uh, in terms of quality. Uh, and he even brought a design aspect to it. Now, what shocked me was none of this was ever on his CV. Um, he never talked about an interview. Um, now, whether I think we might have asked, but he didn't, because he didn't leave with it, he didn't have the confidence in himself to you know, put it forward. So for him, 
these kind of front-end apps that he was building was like a side hobby, you know, things that you might do at nighttime or the weekends on his own. And it's not seen as like professional. And that, that, that kind of astounded me in terms of like, you know, why, you know, you're holding this piece yeah. back. You know, you're actually, you know, you're, you're actually more of a full stack guy. You're better and you're actually going to get better opportunities. Um, so I've actually experienced that probably about, about over 20 different times uh, with different wow. people. Um, and this is actually quite typical of fans. Now, I'm not saying generally all across the uh, software engineering space, but we found it quite regularly. Um, and that to me has just been, you know, CVs, you know, my opinion, CVs, I pretty much use them for note-taking during an interview. I don't really read them. It's a quick scan in terms of where you've been, but that's about it. If you've got a personal website up there or GitHub for anyone who's, who's up to speed on, on what GitHub actually is, you would browse that, et cetera, find out more. But it's quite fragmented and you can't get a good feel. Um, but ultimately the thing stands is that a lot of people don't uh, value themselves enough more or put their best foot forward. And CVs don't really let you do that. Um, they can in a very descriptive sense. What do you think about it from your hiring? Um, you're getting a lot of different types of CVs coming through. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of try and isolate the different pieces in the CVs in terms of projects that people have actually done. That's quite hard because you want to validate it in more of a code sense and the structure sense, which then you have to go on to the likes of GitHub and you know other different kind of communities to see where the projects are, but even then they don't have them there. So that's one part in terms of showcasing your, your projects. And where I think about that is your, your side projects, your hobbies are probably the most important piece of work you do as well as your professional ones. Because when you're doing your side ones, you've got no boundaries, you've got no rules, you've got no structure around you. And what that does, it turns on your creative mind and your learning mind a lot, a lot more. Um, and these projects that they do, and like, believe me, we've, we've like, since February, we've been interviewing, you know, hundreds of CVs or hundreds of engineers, um, not for a job about this space, because we want to learn, you know, um, is our bias and, and our thinking, you know, across, shared across other engineers. And it actually is. Um, so they're showcasing their work on like, you know, personal communities or private communities. And this work never ends up on your CV, but they're really strong developed uh, engineers or developers and it's hidden. So I want to uncover that essentially, uh, but it's ultimately to better, give better value to the engineers yeah. themselves. Um, and, you know, and again, this is kind of, it's a bit of a weird paradigm in terms of, there's a deemed shortage in the market, but, you know, I, I kind of think a bit of both in terms of, well, there isn't, there might be a deemed shortage in the market in terms of you know the type of person you're looking for in terms of seniority and maybe a particular niche kind of skill set you're looking for or niche interest for that engineer maybe so and uh, but a lot of these engineers get overlooked in the process um, and i think them not putting their best foot forward is actually um one of the pieces in the puzzle now on the other side though is what i would have experienced in paddy parent hostel world is um I think when I first joined Hostel World, I was probably in there about a week, and I'm I'm I hope I'm not going to I'm not going to paint the place in a bad way, but like this is back in um, 2014, when I first joined, like the external rep of Hostel World from a software engineer perspective wasn't good, and um, like the rep wasn't great, um, and you know the process, it, I suppose what led led to that kind of bad rep at the time, was really around um, you know you might apply for a job and if you if you were, I suppose, shortlisted, you just got sent a technical test in an email, no, no, no other communication. It was, it was kind of very cold, you could say. 
Mm-hmm. And when I joined Hostel World, I joined Hostel World because my previous boss, Paddy Power, became CTO at Hostel World and he asked me to come on. So it, it was a different experience for me. Uh, but my first week there, I went to him and I said, we have to improve our external rep here um, for hiring people because we were looking to hire people, but having a bad rep makes the challenge even harder. Um, so pretty much at the time, we wanted to expose our engineering culture, our technical culture, uh, externally to the teams. Now, a lot of more established companies like your, your Stripes and et cetera would do this. Um, but there's a lot of you know other companies like, like Hospital Size and even up a bit further and definitely smaller ones don't do this for a number of different reasons because it's not really you know high in the priority list of things to do um but like us you know we wanted to do it but it was like you know nearly at the bottom of the list it's like we get to it when we can but it never comes to fruition and i understand all the reasons for that but then when you need to go and hire it's suddenly important and then you have to build that back up and again that's all understandable but for me the, the problem there is not this always on culture in terms of like this is what we do from a technical perspective, and, you know, an engineering perspective, this is the capabilities we have. And more importantly, this is the kind of culture we have. And exposing that um, to me is, is, is really, really key to find and get the right team uh, around you. Um, and I remember when we were in hostel where we, we, um, uh, we went out to find a different office in a couple of different countries. We eventually landed in Porto over in Portugal, but we had to go from cold again. So if you put yourself in my shoes at the time, the question or the the ask was go hire 50 to 70 engineers and build a team in Porto um, in the space of nine months. So that's a very tall order um, mm-hmm. to do very from, from cold. And if you say people to hostel world, it's like, you know, you sell hostels or you know to engineers, they just they mightn't get it unless they use it, obviously. Um, and that's that's hard. And so it's a travel company. Um, so it's hard to kind of get that exposure out. Um, and in another, another similar kind of vein, yes, I, like I worked for Pernod Ricard, which is a drinks company, and mm. had a great time there for three years. And I pretty much was just a lot of traveling in, in that job. It was brilliant. But again, I got referred to join that place um, first as a consultant, and then I joined uh, full time uh, to build up a small digital team within there. But within that, there's a company that you would never think would have technology as mm. in terms of a tech team. And the experience I had in that was like very little boundaries. It was all very creative. You get to do very, very cool stuff. You got to travel around the world and meeting other different tech agencies, how they build these big brand campaigns. Um, it was, you know, it was entirely, entirely enjoyable, but you would never know in the world to apply for that place uh, as, a, as a software engineer. And yet that's a sitting opportunity for software engineers. So I'd love to, again, expose those opportunities to software engineers that, are, that they are sitting there. Um, and I know these kind of companies, they, either they might struggle or not be aware of, of the particular uh, industry that they're in. But as I said, the whole space is quite challenging in a number of different ways. Um, and it's not just tech companies. There's a lot of companies that are that need and growing, obviously, more than need that kind of digital um, and technical capability. Um, and I just don't think it's getting showcased in the right way to the right group of people. That's a very it's long explanation. <laughs> no, it, 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 it was well done. It's interesting how you've gotten to this point, basically just taking things that have frustrated you over the last decade, decade and a half, and created a business from it. Um, there, at the start when you were talking, I wrote down doctors. There's this platform that doctors use that is essentially the doctor version of what you're creating. And they got, last week, the week before, they got valued at over a billion dollars. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. 
there's this thing called the Butler model. Um, and it basically around, it, it, it started because he, the guy Butler was into tourism. And it, so it's for tourism to development. So you pick an area like uh, Bundoran and it talks about the, the, this, these five stages of Bundoran from discovery, people first discovering Bundoran as a place to go on holidays to, surfing, great place. And there's just local livers, livers there. And then there's growth and development uh, of Bundoran as a place to visit by holiday home and then there's the you know the success of Bundoran at, at its peak and then there's this stagnation and then there's a decline and or a rejuvenation so there's this kind of five stage cycle and I, I imagine at your business you're potentially and if I'm to translate that kind of butler model to work you're in the discovery growth stage um, so my question is how do you build your, your brand is it paid social networking word of mouth pay well-known engineers to use the platform and then spread word about it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I know that Har not how Facebook started with the Harvard campus and then grew from there. So you got a similar plan where you got a focus group and then grow. I'll, I'll stop talking and let you talk. Yeah, yeah no. Um, yeah, so you know, right now, um, as I said, you know, we've been talking to a lot of different engineers of like all different calibers, disciplines, etc. Um, you know, ones who actually showcase work on different uh, software engineering communities already. And, um, mm. you know, clearly a big one is like Reddit. And going back to your point, like, you know, we're kind of seeing ourselves as a mixture between, you know, um, it's like less like the LinkedIn, like, you know, the experience I see on LinkedIn from a software engineer perspective, because the market's so challenging, you know, the, the I'll say if like the recruitment spam on it is just so high at the moment. Um, and there's a lot of noise in the place. And you know, there's there's a lot of like because we're building a network that's more specifically niche for the audience, and um, we can just go a lot deeper in terms of the, the actual technical technicalities in it. And um, so we're, you know, you could say the connection aspect is more in the LinkedIn piece, but the sharing and projects and learning from each other is much more of a community aspect. So that would mm. bring in more of the Reddit instance, and then the showcasing brings in more of the dribble instance. So we're kind of like a LinkedIn meets Reddit meets dribble. Um, and now we're starting those communities in terms of uh, sourcing communities from uh, Reddit, obviously in terms of interviewing those engineers, obviously our own referral networks, learning from those people um, and seeing the, the common patterns, whatever it is, and you know, validating our bias and also uncovering um, you know, challenges that they, they're finding. And you know, again, COVID has probably brought it up even more in terms of, um, we're definitely seeing a lot more people leaning towards the that want of a freelance model, but not like more of a permanent freelance, a safe freelance model, you could say, in terms of um, remote working with a company, but building what they want to be built. So, you know, there's opportunities there for, you know, engineers to, um, you know, build out, you know, company or products that R&D products say that companies actually want to initiate on. Um, but going back to your question, I think the, the we're, yeah, we're sourcing from those communities, but then our own referral networks. And then likewise, um, you know, touching base to, uh, you know, our, our network in, in other companies and that likes of, you know, uh, other CTOs and directors, uh, engineers, et cetera, just to understand their challenges. And like, you know, open to this point, everything has pretty much been, um, you know, there's definitely new learnings. Um, I think we're heading in the right direction in terms of, uh, you know, we reiterate and change as we go, uh, but it's definitely uh, leaning in the right way in terms of what we think so far in terms of uh, validating um, our own experiences uh, that's shared across everyone else. Um, 
I think the the more broader cast one, yeah, like we're pretty much at the, we've been at the discovery phase for the last probably four months, I'd say. Um, we've done a bit of a product build, and um, that's been going great. And but we didn't want to go too far, obviously. Um, so we pretty much at a, we're at an iterative stage now. So we've opened it up, um, to kind of get more people in, uh, pretty much more in an early adoption phase. And you know we're learning at that pace at the moment, so that's been going amazing at the moment. Um, and yeah, it's just yeah, look, it's been fantastic. So uh, to this date, so so far, you know, great change you of life as well. So. That's that, that that's a, that's a huge bonus. That is, um, you mentioned CTO. The, the I think his name is Darmesh. He's a CTO and co-founder of HubSpot. He recently spoke about his frustration with platforms like LinkedIn, and if he was to come in and wave a magic wand. He's actually offered someone 5 million to, and a seven figure domain is what he said, to build a different version of LinkedIn on the blockchain. So it's powered by the blockchain where you can, you know, offer your services, but there's a cost associated with it. Or if you want to message people, there's, you, you, you there, there's a cost associated with it, but if they accept it, then they get paid for, accepting your messages rather than just getting a lot of spam and then you get a response from them and also ratings as well something he i think he spoke about where you know if, if you were to uh, rate me then it, or endorse me it would increase the uh, probably the level of hierarchy i i'm at i am on the platform because i've been endorsed by noel maher and, and vice versa and the profiles are associated and it was interesting to see that there's i don't know if we're on the cusp of a potential uh, a new social platform built from the likes of those CTOs that might eventually cash out and go, All right, what's my next project? Um, I think, yeah, like, yeah, they can, uh, I hear this in a lot of podcasts in the States, um, and it's been going on for a while, obviously, but the, the, the unbundling of these wider platforms, you know, is, mm -hmm. is obviously up and running. Um, you know, Discord would be a great example of there. Um, and I, I think absolutely because like serving the community at, the, at a more narrower niche um, and, you know, bringing, bringing in the, the different types of features that can only suit that niche, you know, makes really, you know, just makes a ton of sense in terms of the community, what makes the community feel more valued. Um, and, it, you know, again, I suppose in our space, it's, you know, we're really about the betterment of the engineer. Like it's, as I said to you earlier on, it's about, you know, getting their best foot forward um, and like, you know, giving them the best opportunity. Like for example, you know, I like to think I've got I've got a good network. You know, they've built up over time, um. But when I look at my LinkedIn network, it's you know it's obviously a good degree mix, which is you know is good, but it's also, you know, some part it's not really helpful in terms of some things I want to do. But professionally, like I'm always going to be in the software and engineering space, and um, so like I, I would argue maybe forty percent of my network is just not going to be interested at all. But um, even in that network, I want to you know either connect and collaborate in different ways. And that's more software engineering specific, you know? So if, if, if I actually had a platform in front of me, like, you know, how would I scale a team today? And how would I scale a team of people that I know I can connect to, or I can see they're connected to based off a referral or based off someone they've worked with before. And um, mm -hmm. like, yes, you can see that on LinkedIn, but I, I you know, uh, I'm going to say in harsh as if I'm having to go with LinkedIn, but the, you know, the, it's the quality of the connection I would, I would have judgment on. You know, when I look to, to, to hire people or see people, it's about that trust element. And it's like, okay, they've worked with this person before. They've worked with this company yeah. before. Um, 
it's hard to get that in a very authentic way, I would say, really. Um, and that's what we're focused on in terms of it's that relationship build and that connection of actually the authenticity behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might sound a bit like dreamy, but like, you know, um, that's that's actually our aim to do that and to connect those two opportunities together in terms of, you know, companies and teams and companies, you know, from startups to SMEs to more to larger companies to with these engineers, because they are there. Um, but, you know, as I said, they mightn't be valuing themselves as much um, or they're up for different projects. Like, I, I think another good example actually is one of our teams, a smaller teams within the last company is um, three or four engineers and they've all left and they all work for different companies. But a great example is these guys meet up at the weekend and, you know, like they pretty much hack together um, whatever projects they're working on. And they're, they're a quality A team. Now, if you could actually get them to work on a project for you, um, you, you know, there's a team that, ha- that gel together. They know how they work together. That's, that's, that's really hard to find, you know, especially when you're trying to pick and match, them, et cetera. You get all their qualities, you know, straight away. So for me, you know, we, we're putting up a project um, on our own platform here um, in order to, you know, build out a couple of features for the full stack network. So we're trying to make it a bit more open source to add more, um, value to the network and um, to the platform but we want these people these teams of people to build it for us and uh, to put that um proof in the pudding you can say um that this actually um smart. this model would actually work so yeah so looking forward Very to that smart. i've got a couple more questions for you because we're coming up on time um for our american listeners what i'm about to reference is high school for our irish and uk listeners secondary school if Nolmar was in charge of adding a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a okay. Um, I think. Well, oh, this is not really. It's not really a course. I actually don't know if they cover it in English. Um, so I do a bit of mentoring, but a lot of things I come up. Uh, I would say a lot in uh, those mentoring sessions was this sounds it's probably sounds a bit stupid but I would actually an email writing course and basically a couple of years ago I got asked to go in the R probably back in it was actually my early stages of Paddy Power I got put in an email writing course I said fuck you're having a laugh <laughs> I was like what the hell is that about um, it's probably the best course I've ever done in my life uh, it was just a week long uh, but what that really taught was, um, you know, in terms of how you actually communicate an email, but it actually made you think clearly in terms of getting your message across. So, for example, if you're right, if you're writing an email to someone else and um, you want to make sure that if you get a reply back, that reply should be all clear, understood. So it can't just be this back and forth. And, you know, you, see, you probably see hundreds of emails, getting, you know, getting uh, people getting bouncing back and forth in terms of right, the clarity or what time is is blah 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 blah, and um, that course to me has been has been pivotal because it actually helped me then how to approach meetings, um, how to actually you know think in meetings, you know observe the room, all that kind of thing was involved in the course. So, in one way, I'd nearly say like the, the course was labeled wrong because it taught you about all these other different techniques, and um, but I found it absolutely invaluable. So. Whether it's a course for leaving sort of, I don't know, maybe you can extend it to the English part. I'm not too sure. Maybe they cover this in English. I've actually no idea. But um, for me, it'd be that. Um, obviously, coding. Um, yeah, I'm actually out of touch with the whole leaving sort of piece, but I don't know if there's a whole coding element to uh, the thing. Okay, but I think, so. 
that to me is a necessity um, for a number of different reasons. You know, you're, you're, the creativity that it can bring to you. Um, you know, I would have seen this in um, you know, Coder Dojo camps um, that you do for kids. It really unlocks their brains. I just getting more of that unlocking your brain and creativity piece, I think is key. You know, and there's probably yeah, more yeah. responsible projects or course that people should do or <laughs> leave and circle. We had to be more you're in not, that space. You're not the first person to say that. There's a number of people who've been on recently that have said coding. Mm-hmm. Coding has come up a lot. I'd say out of the last 10 guests that I've asked, six of them, and not all of them are, are technical people, but they've referenced some form of that or, or communication, uh, understanding people. Uh, final question for you. I'd like you to imagine we're talking as if it's now the year 2030 and you're looking back on the last decade. Choose as it is personally, professionally, a combination of both. What would you hope if we're talking now in 2030, what would you hope or like to be looking back on? Um, I suppose, yeah, professionally, obviously, um, I would love to see uh, this network and community strive like hearing from engineers that what's you know made them better and um, that way you know i would hear back in in, in mentoring as well i, I love that feel so just you know it that means a lot to me that just feels that just actually just feels good um, and and you know i suppose been a way to kind of facilitate uh, opportunities and connections with people Um, i would love that and obviously the company be doing really well um and actually just a happy company. Like we're a happy team at the moment. We're only a small team of uh, seven. Um, nice. and, but like, you know, we're, we're having great fun, but we're like, we're, we're serious about what we do. So I just love that to, you know, progress even more um, and then get on to do the other things that we're really looking to do within uh, the full stack. Um, and then obviously personally, uh, you know, have, have a healthy family and, and a happy family. I have three kids, so one, three and five. Thank God they're out of the house today. So otherwise you would not hear me clearly on the on the on the pod. Um yeah, for them to be happy and, and you know, myself and my wife as well to, nice. to be all happy there. So so nothing to oh sorry. And to have a recording studio. Most important. Nice. <laughs> Epic. With a bar. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, no, it, it's been a pleasure spending the last 45, 50 minutes getting to know you a little more and, and talking, talking to you. Um Thanks for being my guest today and wish you continued success both personally and professionally. Thank you, Rind. Uh, great to have you here and thanks a lot. Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, baby.